Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is doing well this morning. What a great start to the morning. Our God is a God of forgiveness and second chances and an opportunity to start over and start fresh. And we're going to hear a lot about that uh, this morning as we talk about relationships. And speaking of starting fresh, uh, we have a new baby in our congregation. Kinsey Ann Kamenesi was born last week. Uh, a little bit over a week ago, actually, and uh, parents, Chris and Nicole, are ecstatic, and so is Grandma Susie. So we are extremely excited to have Kinsey be part of our family now, and my wife likes to hold babies, and I know she's already jonesing to hold that one. Uh, another thing I wanted to give everybody an update on, it feels like it's a, it's a moment to give a little update on the Betts family. Uh, so after 14 years in our house, and two, at the time, toddlers, who made a mess throughout it and, uh, and are now teenagers, and it's a different kind of mess that they leave behind now. It's plates and dishes and stuff. Um, and uh, a puppy now, we have a puppy who's now 18 months old and finally potty trained. Uh, we decided to make a big decision. We got new carpet. It's huge. Like, we get out of bed now, and it's fresh and clean. It feels good on our feet, and the stains we couldn't get out from either the dog or the kids are gone. I mean, this is fantastic. This is a big deal. I mean, that's church announcement worthy, right? New carpet? <laughs> so if you've gotten carpet recently, you realize that before the crew comes in to do it, you have to kind of lighten the load for them. So they said they moved the furniture, but it was our office. It was our bedroom. And what naturally do we stash under the bed? Boxes of memories and things. What do we have all over the office? The bookshelf is layered, not just the books, but then all the doodads and trinkets and pictures from the kids when they were in third grade and uh, handmade turkeys, the famous handmade turkey, all over the place and everything. And so we had to go through these things to lighten the load. And there's one thing that my wife and I figured out, Janelle and I figured out as we were going through this. We've changed. We're looking at these memories that we decided that we wanted to hold on to that meant so much for us. And some of them, the connection had changed to them. We just, we were going through them and, and, and there was conversation about every single one. Like, do we keep this and why? And then the best part about marriage is there were a few that my wife was ready to let go of that were kind of like her decision to keep. And as the husband, of course, I explained to her she didn't know what was right. I had to tell her, no, no, you don't want to get rid of that. You want to keep that because I know better. Please hear sarcasm in that, please. <laughs> so we were going through all these memories and just like, that's the thing that just kept, just kept hitting us. And so just different conversation topics and everything is just, we've changed. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in chapter seven. He's going through how, how relationships deal with the influence of Christ in their life how decisions, how they've sep trying to separate themselves from the culture and realize what a life in Christ looks like, how that impacts their marriage, how that impacts their relationship status. And Paul's trying to go through and give them some guidance for how they actually deal with all of these changes. And so that's what we're actually going to look at today, is how Paul is going to try to guide them and walk them through this. And you'll even understand as Paul's going through things, even he understands the complexity of relationships. He uses terms like, I say this. He uses terms like, I realize this works for me. He understands that whether you're single, whether you're married, he's talking to people who are currently going through divorces, who are thinking about divorce. This is all getting communicated to him as he's writing this letter. 
and he's walking through, I realize everything is complicated. Let's take a look at the text and we'll start to, to dig in. We're going to start at, at verse 8. So Todd talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to go back because it works really well together, uh, 8 through 16. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to, him, to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if your unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Let's pray for this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, relationships, relational pain, these are incredibly sensitive topics. So open our hearts to hear what you would have us hear. Open our minds Guide my words this morning as we understand that you are a God of forgiveness. You have designed us to draw near to you, but in this fallen world, it is complex and it is complicated, and we pray that this morning we will feel renewed, we will feel hope, we will feel joy, but also at the same time, we will examine our lives in our best effort to draw to you. In your name we pray. So, there's no better place to start with relationships than to just state a very obvious fact. I hope this is obvious to everyone if you've ever had a friend, if you've ever had a spouse. Challenges in relationships are inevitable. You will find some level of conflict. Guess what? God has actually pointed this out to us. If you've ever done the Bible in one year, before you get to the middle of February and you're in Leviticus and Numbers and you're going, why did I start here? Genesis 3.16, he says to the serpent in 3.15, don't worry, we're going to overcome evil. Right after that, he turns to Eve, and God says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. That's a topic for another day. But for today, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. He just talked about in Genesis 2.24, leaving cleave. I have designed this relationship, this beautiful thing that you will draw near me and you will draw near each other. And then he says after the fall, there's tension, there's strife, there's struggle. It's coming. I guarantee you, so says God. So it should be inevitable that we realize that this is going to happen in our lives. And we see it. I mean, we see life. Life changes people. All of us, 20-year-old Brian, hanging out, playing hockey, poker, hanging out with his friends, nowhere near a church, is different than 30-year-old Brian. 
two kids trying to figure out, going to church, but trying to figure out what this is all about. And now you have 44-year-old Brian. Very different decisions, very different person. I change, and every time I change, I impact my wife. And she's doing the same thing. She's changing too. And so we're, it, it, I kept coming up with this, this scientific uh, space of you see like atoms slamming together. And I just kept seeing all these things slamming together and how they all change when it happens. And you could end up from atoms slamming together, you could end up with a nuclear explosion or you could end up with molecules changing to be something else. There's change constantly impacts us. We see our friendships. My, guy, my circle of hockey friends, we played hockey together for seven, eight years. We played fantasy hockey together. We watched hockey games together. I mean, all we did was hockey. I see them on Facebook on occasion now. And now they have kids too. And our lives are all just a little bit different. In fact, one of them posted a picture from a Kings game and was like, oh, remember when we used to hang out together? We still adore each other, but just life has gone different places. I now spend my time, well, pre-COVID, watching musical theater. Musical theater and hockey, exactly the same thing, right? There's no difference. There's cross-checking in both. But as we realize that life changes for us, how many of you genuinely like change? How many of you love it when someone sits in your seat at church? How many of you loved all the change and the difference that was happening for this year when COVID hit? We don't deal with change well, yet it's inevitable. So what happens is we end up being very unprepared for change. And so we start to go through this process. When we're unprepared for change, when the person next to us changes, when the people around us change, you can start to have feelings of pain, like why is this person acting differently? It could lead to sorrow. It could lead to confusion. This is, this is not the same person. Like my wife is not the same person that I married. And it's fine. We're learning to grow together. We're learning to, to have conversations around the change. But just as easily, I could have fought that change. I could have gotten incredibly lost and confused. And then when someone changes, especially if they move towards something, Quickly, if the, if the change is significant, you can feel like you're being left behind. I always state our faith journey together. My wife is like the perfect graph. She goes like this, just consistent and always trying to do it. And my faith journey has been like this. And somehow we've ended up pretty much in the same spot. So many opportunities for either one of us to feel left behind. And when you feel left behind, your mind starts to wonder. You start to wonder, will I ever recover the joy that I had when it was in this other stage. Because of course, when we reflect on things, everything's a little bit better. My brother and I, as we're processing still the loss of our dad, we have this, these nostalgia moments that we keep going back to. I found myself subconsciously listening to all the music I listened to as a teenager in my house with my parents for like a month and a half after my dad died. So there's a lot of punk rock and my wife was like, what is this? What is happening to you? Do you have a better way to express it than this noise? And what inevitably happens when, our, when we start to wonder and we feel like we're out of control, our natural sense is we try to control what is out of control. We want to put our stamp on it. We, we, will, we will figure out a way to make it our own, which leaves us basically at two places. We're confronted with two choices when we're struggling with challenges. For us sitting here, it either means we move away from God's design 
for our relationships, for our lives, or we move toward God's design. And Paul's going to take us in that space, and that's actually how we're going to work through all of this today. The idea of in each of our relationships and our struggles and our challenges in these life stages, how do we see if we're moving away from or how do we see if we're moving toward God's design? So Paul starts off as he impacts this, and challenges and relationships can distract us either from God or draw us to God. Obviously, he wants these challenges to draw us to him, to trust him, to realize we need him to do this, to encourage us to have conversations. He's going to start verses 8 and 9 by talking about what this looks like in the lives of single people. Now, Todd talked a little about, about this last week. To the unmarried and to the widows. So folks who have not even had a chance to be married yet and to widows. I'm experiencing now, tomorrow will actually be six months since my dad passed away, and coming alongside my mom, understanding what it's like to be widowed now. This defining moment of her life was the relationship with my father. She's actually expressed that even more so now that he's not around, that she realized this was part of the definition of who her life, of who she was in her life. So singleness has so many challenges. Todd talked about last week, we're a couple's culture, inside and outside the church. Just things just kind of are naturally built around couplehood. We're wired. God made us to want relationships, to be relationally intimate with people. It is a natural built-in desire for us. Paul even acknowledges this. He says, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Let's be clear. Paul is a unique beast. Paul loves being single. This was before he was converted and after he was converted. He, just, he knows God is the most important thing, and he focuses all of his effort on God. That's where Paul stands on everything. And this is a great, healthy thing. But he realizes most people aren't wired like him. So he says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. So he talks about their actions. If they can't control their actions in their struggles with being single, then figure out a way to get married. And we can oversimplify that, and he cheapens it. We'll get to that in a little bit. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I think there he's talking about the emotional state, sitting in a state of singleness. Now, he very specifically, in the context of this, he's talking about their desire for physical intimacy. But in that Todd laid out this, this beautiful three tenets for relationships. Physical, spiritual, and emotional. The desire to want to be connected on all those levels, I think, also sits into that text. So when we actually try and work through what Paul said, he points out two ways for single people to move away from God's design. And the first, that action step. They can pursue unhealthy relationships. They can go after people who don't have their desire to bond with God, to draw near God as the primary. The first thing to pay attention to them, they could grab onto. There's so many temptations in our wiredness to be relational that it can go astray. And Paul's trying to point out, focus on God and go from there. He also points out with the emotional space, it's easy to just get angry over our status for single people. I remember growing up as a teenager when all the girls wouldn't talk to me. 
I had a little window where they finally started to talk to me and I became academically ineligible in school because who wanted to do homework? Girls were finally talking to me. But I remember the longing of why won't they, like, I just get one day, I want to be my friend. What am I doing wrong? And getting kind of bitter and angry at that. Like I knew God exists. I didn't really have a, a, a clear picture of him. But it's so easy to go to the place of just bitterness. And why, why, when's it my turn? When's it the opportunity? And Paul's trying to say, guys, both the unhealthy actions and the unhealthy thoughts are not the place to go. And he actually, through that, he compels us to understand how to go toward God's design if we happen to be single. First and foremost is to pursue our identity in God. That's why he believes singleness is a gift. No challenges, no filters. You actually mention it later in chapter 7 that he thinks marriages, spouses are actually a distraction to life. Because you have this gift in your singleness to draw near to God, to spend extra time with him. And through that, as you get your identity in God, you can actually display a confidence in him despite not having your ideal relationship status. If you are single and you desire to actually be with someone, to actually show the confidence that God has you where he wants you right now, and that you actually believe that he could have in store something that you've never even fathomed relationally, that confidence by drawing near to him, we can actually express it and glorify him and enjoy him that's what we're actually built for and wired for. Enjoy him and to glorify him. And so Paul's trying to point out that in singleness, this is an opportunity. Now, he moves from there to two married believers. So he's going to talk two different sets of married people. Verses 10 and 11, he's going to talk about two married believers, and he's going to talk about a not equally yoked marriage. One is a believer and one is not a believer in 12 through 16. So this first group, two married believers, He's going to be very straightforward here because he believes that it is a very straightforward scenario. Two married believers. Pretty easy to define that, right? Two people that are married. To the married, I give this charge. And then he clarifies, not I, but the Lord. Paul wants to make real clear. Before he said singleness, he prefers it. When he's encouraging people to be single, he realizes God wired us to be relational and he's a little bit of an odd bird. He's actually telling them, for married people, I can actually look back at the scripture and there's precedent for what God says about what marriages are supposed to be about. Genesis 2.24, they're supposed to thrive. They're supposed to leave and cleave. Mark 10, 6 to 9, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, tell us about all these rules of divorce. And he goes, no, 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 it's not about. It's about the heart. Relationships are special. It's not about rules. God wants the heart to be the leading factor in relationships. And he then says, what God put together, don't let man separate. Don't get caught up in the rules. This is about a heart matter. So based on this, he says, the Lord has said enough that he can be clear in stating the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else reconcile to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. God's ideal here is never for divorce. Divorce is not simple. 
God has given us a clear view and a philosophy for how we are to be relationally designed. But we are in a broken world. Genesis 3.16, there will be conflict in your relationships. No two divorces are alike. The collateral damage from divorce impacts generations. My mom came from a broken family. We still feel the impact of that as her kids and what it's done in her family. Thinking about this, I think every single person here probably first degree has been impacted by divorce, whether it was your parents, you directly, good friends. Divorce impacts everyone and it hurts and it changes the way we look at stuff. But here's what we rest on when we're gonna talk about divorce. God forgives. Whatever happened before, today is the day to move forward. Today is the day to spark the conversation that helps move forward. Today is the day to go to God and pray to move forward. So we lean on his forgiveness. Even though it's not necessarily meeting up to his ideal, we lean on his forgiveness. Now, Paul's going to talk about divorce very specifically, partially because of the world that they were in. The Greeks and the Romans, it was really easy to move in and out of marriages. Women actually had full rights to walk away. That's why he started with the women. They, Jewish, it's very controlled in their background. Men had most of the say. Women didn't have a lot of control. The Greeks and the Romans in Corinth were the opposite. They had lots of flexibility, so women could initiate divorce pretty easily. Husbands could do the same. And he talked about the reciprocalness of both. Both people have a stake in this. And I think societally, especially within church, we hear God's view is not for divorce. God's view is not for divorce. God's view is not for divorce. And as rule followers, I always call this the uh, men's health, give me the 52 moves to great abs. Just like give me the rules and that's all I need to know and I'm good. Like I don't want to understand how my abs work or whatever or the best way to do stuff. Just tell me, do a crunch like this and then show me a picture and I'll be fine. So when there's rules put up around divorce, we go to that. Jesus said it to the Pharisees. You guys are caught up in the rules around divorce. It's a matter of the heart. And so I think, especially within the church, we fall privy to this idea of settling. Maybe we're not going for the official paperwork for divorce, but we've settled. That emotional, spiritual, physical growth in the relationship, God's design for us to flourish in our marriage. All three of those, portions of all three of those can become stagnant and break down. And we get worn down and we stop to pursue growth. We, start to, we stop to pursue the conversation. And even though we're not going to divorce court, we think we're okay by settling. I have friends who have kind of moved into this stage now that we're all hitting, you know, and I just had our 18th anniversary. We have friends who are all in the 15 to 20 space. 
And some of them have marriages that are struggling and they've just kind of settled into, they've even referred to it as their roommates. They just kind of go about and they do their own thing. But they're not getting divorced because they know the rules. And so Paul's declare, uh, declaration of divorce, he also means just the growth inside the marriage, the spirituality inside the marriage. God has made us to thrive, to build, to support, and at times to challenge each other. And the same thing goes when I mentioned divorce, the same thing goes if you happen to realize this might speak to where you're at. Maybe you haven't even expressed it in your marriage. But you're feeling stagnant. You're struggling to find the words. You're disappointed. You might be frustrated. Today is the day that it starts fresh. Seek forgiveness with God. Start to build the bridge back. Start to have the conversation. Because you know what? No matter which way you choose, whether you move toward God or whether you move away from God, both of those paths are going to have some level of pain involved. Whether you have to come and say, I'm sorry, I've dropped the ball here. Not an easy thing to do. Or if you move away from God and the collateral damage and the pain that divorce would bring. There is going to be a challenge to us to trust God and to grow near. And so if you are in a position where you see settling might be a thing, might be an attribute inside your relationship, it's okay. Today's the day to start forward. Today is the day for forgiveness. Today is the day to search inside and to take steps moving forward. And Paul, in the other way, specifically to this too. He says to go toward God's design. Here are the things you put in place so that this doesn't happen or that you do reconcile. He wants us to pursue God wholeheartedly as individuals within the marriage. So if we looked at this as a visual, let's take two people. Let's hypothetically call them Brian and Janelle. They've decided to get married. So they get yoked together. There is the line that let no man break that line. What Paul tells us in our relationship, God is involved. Especially if you're sitting here, you have an awareness that God is involved. And so he wants us to individually pursue that. So he wants Brian to pursue a relationship with God, to dig deep and realize that is actually the most important relationship, is Brian to God. And he wants Janelle to do the same thing. This is also why in the text, both for married couples and when he gets into the one with faith and the one without faith, he puts the onus on both the man and the woman. It's not a one-position scenario. It's a two-way street. They both have onus in this. He wants them both because by pursuing this, they'll be able to overcome challenges. Similar to when he talked about, why would you go outside of the church to settle disputes? You guys both have faith in an understanding of how this works. If you have that you should be able to settle differences. The second piece is this. He wants us to pursue spiritual intimacy as a couple. The intimacy we get from talking directly to him, he wants us to apply that and he wants us to turn to our spouse and develop the same thing. Now, this is where I've been guilty. 
as I was finally starting to get a picture of who God was, I was reading my Bible. I was pursuing it. I was asking questions. When I actually looked up from my Bible, my wife was on the other side of the room. I had so much opportunity to do this with her. And in my pursuit, I forgot to do this with her. Now, for me, my wife is pursuing God as well, so she wasn't completely abandoned. But man, I wish early on, I wish I would have realized this coming to faith. I wish I would have had this at the start of our marriage instead of waiting years, but I'm grateful that we have it now. Because when we look at this idea, that line's black for a reason. If blue represents the status of where we want it to be, it breaks down without the same connectedness. When we have that spiritual intimacy and it completely connects together, our individual pursuit and our ability to come together and ask questions and challenge and discuss and grow and get each other excited for God, everything else is impacted from that. Everything else is positively lifted up from that experience. And Paul's trying to point to that when he says, divorce isn't an option. If you guys pursue God wholeheartedly, as you should be in this church in Corinth, as you should be in this church in your Belinda, the natural outpouring of your enthusiasm, your pursuit, and your excitement for God should turn to each other and should grow with each other. And in that, now you have the ability to fight the challenges of this world. Now he's going to move on to the next group, a believer in a mixed faith marriage. New church. Lots of marriages in Corinth. Church shows up. Now suddenly you get one person who's grabbed on to the Jesus fever that's happening in Corinth. And maybe the other spouse hasn't quite come along yet. And we still experience this today. We have so many marriages going to the altar or the park or wherever they're, wherever they're formally taking place at without spiritual alignment happening. That this actually happens where you end up with people not on the same playing field for when they enter those marriages. Now, he's going to, because it's more complicated, he's going to explain a lot more into what this is. And I'm going to actually take a little bit of time explaining a few things because there's an easily misunderstood piece of this text in here. So Paul says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. So again, so remember with married people, he said it was really clear. Here he says, hey, I'm pulling my theology together as best I understand. But this is me giving advice to these Jesus hasn't specifically spoken to this. God specifically hasn't said anything about one versus the other. So this is me with all the authority and inspiration that God has given me. So please listen, but this is where I stand on this. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, that means that she cares enough to let him continue to pursue his faith. So agreeable, he should not divorce her. The marriage is going well enough, and they have faith. If any woman, he flips it, same thing, equally yoked here in this, in, in responsibility. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. 
And then he goes on to say this thing that's potentially very easily misunderstood. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. How can you be holy while unbelieving? Usually we hear holy and we think sanctified and we're good. Like we're good with Jesus. If we died today, we'd get in if we were holy. These people don't actually believe in Jesus. So how are they getting in? So there's context in here. He's dealing with a mixed, mixed set of two races when he's explaining this. So he's got the Greeks and the Romans and he's got the Jews. And I mentioned before, the Jews have a very strict set of guidelines and ways that they look at the world. One of those things is, you, if you've read the Old Testament to any extent, you hear they're obsessed with clean and unclean. Paul's stating God's design for marriage is so beautiful and so pure that if one has faith and one doesn't, you're both considered clean in God's eyes. Because you have people who are coming to faith and realizing their, their spouse doesn't have faith, and their first reaction is, I have to leave them. They're going to take me down from a spiritual standpoint. He's going, no, this bond that God desires for you is actually this beautiful gift that I want you to continue to pursue. And in fact, actually, in the very next, on the back half of 14, he's going to explain in an absurd form how they're not understanding this correctly. He says, otherwise, your children would be unclean. So this is very, if you're a Harry Potter fan, this is suddenly going to make sense. They have these things called mudbloods, which are half wizard or not wizard at all. If you have a kid, so you're a believer, you have an unbelieving spouse. You guys had kids before you came to faith. What does that make the kids? Well, proximity, what these guys are thinking is proximity to your unbelieving spouse would make the kids unbelieving as well, which would make them unclean. So by logic, you should abandon your kids and your spouse, right? That's God's call. Thanks for being a Christian. Everybody run away from your kids, leave them and, and, their, and your spouse. Paul's going, guys, doesn't that sound kind of dumb? Everybody's good. Your kids are good. Your spouse is good. This marriage, this gift of marriage that I've given you, continue to pursue it. Now, he has rules as well on the other side. He says, rules, guidelines, principles. He stated there are not rules. I apologize, I used the wrong word. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. If you're with a spouse, if you have faith and you're trying to pursue your faith and the spouse says, I want nothing to do with you, you're crazy... You're okay. Let them go. He says, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Continue to pursue life in faith and give them the example so that even if should they leave, they'll remember how you lived. Should they realize the error of their ways and God come to them later, you actually have ground to reconcile and, and reunite the marriage that God intended. So Paul's pointed out, for these guys, moving away from God's design is divorce. Just like with the two married partners. Settling, same thing. If they settle in this relationship, same idea. 
I think these guys have one different one that's happening here, and that's drifting. In these marriages, the potential of wanting to put that relationship or any potential conflict above your relationship with God, cut a corner here or there. You don't worry so much about your relationship with God. They don't want you to go to church. Okay, but we're still getting along. There's no tension if I do this. And so we soften the pursuit. So he's trying to make sure that people also don't go there. And in this, he continues to point toward God's design. He wants them, just like married couples who both believe, he wants them to pursue God wholeheartedly. The believer needs to pursue God wholeheartedly. He doesn't hold the person who doesn't believe to a set of rules. But he wants to make sure these people desire, the believers desire to bring their spouse to faith. He says in 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? We're talking about God. God the all-powerful, God the mighty, God who can do whatever he wants, including relationships that might have people with difficult traits involved. God can actually Bring them to faith through you. You seeing your weaknesses and your shortcomings, your inability to be articulate, the baggage you carry from your upbringing, whatever those things are that shortchange how you see yourself, God can actually use you to impact the kingdom and specifically help you bring this other person that you care about to faith. Now, this one has a special spot for me. Carl Martinez was up here last week talking about he's a good guy. He was exposed to Christianity, so he had a level of vocabulary, but it took until his 30s for him to get it, to actually realize it. Same goes for me. I had the vocabulary. I was a good guy. I didn't have any ill intent. Most people would have signed off with no problem. I had all the facets of looking like a believer. But I didn't. I thought it was a nice little add-on. I thought it was something that, that hanging around at church, nice people, my wife wants to be here, relieves the, the tension of issues, and, and, and it's good to hear about how I should act appropriately. You know, you'd meet some people who were super sweet at church. Then you meet some people who are really sold out for Jesus. They're like, nah, yeah, no, I don't want to go lunch with you. You're, you're into Jesus a little too much. And then I come to faith and I realize those are the people I should have gone out to lunch with. Faith and pregnancy are the same thing. You either have it or you don't. There's no 10% pregnant. There's no 10% faith is good enough. God calls us to be all in. I wasn't into my 30s that I realized I had to make that decision. I made it sitting on a plane, coming back from a business trip, reading my Bible on my, on my iPad. I have to make a decision. I have to make it now. Am I in or am I out? Do I buy into this? Even though it's painful for me, it points out some of the challenges in my life. 
and I wouldn't have gotten there. Oh, I got choked up. I thought, this is the one where Brian's not going to cry. Um, <laughs> if he didn't put my wife in my life. He didn't put her family. <laughs> I'm guessing I have a watch on. I made it like 57 minutes. <laughs> Whatever scenario your relationship is in, God can help it. Pursue him. Care about others. Care about those closest to you. Care about your spouse growing in their faith. Go for spiritual, emotional, physical intimacy if you're in a marriage. Grow those. If you're single, pursue God to help you understand those so that you have an identity so that when you find that person, if God chooses to put that person in your life, you can then give that gift to them. Paul's dealing with a church who's struggling to figure out what their identity is, and he just goes back to the same formula. If you understand who you are in God and who God is, everything else is positively impacted. So for this week, whatever your relationship status is, whether you're married, whether you're single, ask God to keep revealing himself through those around you. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your mentors. Beg for peace in this. That God has you right where you are. I'd love you to set an alarm this week. If you have no area of growth or pain in those relationships closest to you, come talk to me afterwards. If you do, set an alarm this week. Every day this week when that alarm goes off, pray for that same disconnect, that point of pain, that thing in your relationship that you need guidance, you need the energy, you need the support to be able to have the conversation or to change what you can control, to change your behaviors toward this. And pray for that all seven days this week. Pray that God gets involved and shows you there is a possibility to move forward. An encouragement with that. If you are at that place, if you are struggling with a point of pain relationally, we have a staff here who would love to come alongside you, come alongside you and that person. And help be there. Prayer, guidance, support, counseling. We have a staff who has completely different backgrounds of how they came to their spouse, what their marriage has looked like. It is a gift to have these different influences and experiences all come together. Help meet everybody where they are. 
if they're in relational pain right now. So please, call us, email us, text us. We genuinely want to help. We want to be involved. We want to help you guys grow and find that common ground and work toward that spiritual intimacy that trickles down to bring the joy in your relationship that God has designed. And lastly, everybody be brave. If you have that pain in your relationship, be the one that encourages spiritual intimacy. If you're single and you have other single friends, encourage the conversations to help you find your identity, to get there, to have that lockdown so that if relationships, marriage comes into play, the gift is ready. If you're married, and it's been stagnant, there's hurt, today is the day to start. Today is the day for forgiveness. Today is the day to move forward. Today is the day to have those conversations. Be that person who ignites that spark that leads to spiritual intimacy. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, We love you, and we want our eyes on you, and through seeing you, there is nothing better than the feeling of seeing those closest to us filled with the joy and the excitement of a life pursuing you. So help continue to feed our hearts, fill our energy levels, help us come to a place that we continue to enjoy First and foremost, a beautiful, thriving relationship with you. And second, a beautiful, thriving relationship with those nearest to us. The ones that you have designed for us to see growth with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always being there. In your name we pray.